You're listening to In Network, Nordic's podcast series where we explore healthcare and technology with experts from around the globe. Hello, and welcome to the In Network podcast feature, Designing for Health. I'm Nordic's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Craig Joseph. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with two pediatricians from Cincinnati Children's Hospital, Dr. Kevin Dufendock, neonatologist and biomedical informaticist, and Dr. Andy Spooner, the Health System's Chief Medical Information Officer. Our conversation centered around the evolving world of clinical informatics, the emerging role of artificial intelligence, and why more and more pediatricians are starting to think like informaticians. Let's plug in. Gentlemen, welcome to the pod. Very excited to have you here. Andy, let's get started by um, you telling uh, us how you got to be in this position of power. This this unholy position where you are seemingly in charge of, of healthcare informatics for all of pediatrics in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's right. Well, my journey started where it starts for almost all of us, which is the NICU. Uh, as amen. A, amen. Um, you know, we, we, everybody's got a story of some uh, task they tried to automate as a, when they were a resident. And, and for me, it was it was calculating nutritional loads for neonates and got a lot of f- a positive feedback. Uh, actually, my first uh, clinical informatics project wasn't that. I've, I've got to be honest with you. It was uh, creating a, a scheduling system for medical students to schedule them for their outpatient pediatric rotations, which is something that they used at my medical school for uh, about a decade uh, after I left uh, just to anyway. But anyway, I've always been looking for. Uh, computerized solutions for stuff in healthcare, but uh, and then uh, when when meaningful use came along and everybody wanted a CMIO, I I just kind of climbed on board that um, uh, movement and uh, found my way into a wonderful job at uh, Cincinnati Children's uh, Hospital, uh, where I've been for almost seventeen years, uh, working with their EHR uh, project, and uh, that's my story. So. Kevin, apparently everything, uh, all good informatics, informatics careers begin in the NICU. Um, for me, I think it was the PICU, but for you, it was the NICU, just like with Andy. Tell us how it all started. We want to know everything about the neonatal ICU. Well, for me, it began in the NICU, and apparently I decided to stay there since I'm still a neonatologist. Um, but one of the things that I love about the NICU is that little things matter. And so when you when you talk about things like um, the the volume of IV tubing, if you're I mean, if you're given an adult, you know, a, a three liters of fluid, nobody cares about the half a milliliter of IV tubing. But when you're running a running something at point one milliliters per hour, that uh, little bit of tubing matters. And so for me, it was always little things um, that matter. And that really, uh, I, I think really, appealed to my mathematical and kind of uh, if this, then that computer type brain. So um, one of the one of my first informatics projects um, and what uh, was in the actually in the newborn nursery, not necessarily the, the NICU itself, but um, it was there that I learned the importance of creating uh, resources that impact people's workflow. And when you change someone's workflow for the better, um, when you uh, when you design for the work that needs to be done, um, then you know you can make a lasting impact. So one of the things that I did was I created a um, 
uh, an Excel spreadsheet that um, would you, you just fill it out with, of course, the, the birth information. And then um, every day you'd update it with the number of like uh, number of feeds, the number of uh, voids and stools and you know, put the bilirubin and all that stuff in there. And um, the cool thing was we used that tool both for rounding because we'd print it off and we'd carry it around as we would go and see the normal newborns with our attending. But then we also, um, the, the very last cell in it was one that we didn't print off because that was the progress note for the day. And so basically, after you filled everything out, you just took that last cell and copied and pasted it into the electronic health record. And you could have all your notes written in, you know, five minutes or so. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I knew it was a success when I talked with my uh, my program director three years after I'd left and he said they still had about five copies of it on a backup drive to make sure that nobody broke the Excel document that everyone used to, to write their notes in the, in the newborn nursery. Is somewhere an information security officer is, is having a headache and uh, they don't know why. Absolutely, But it right. works. It, because there's nothing in healthcare that happens outside the electronic health record these days. Uh, Kevin, you are, you are exactly right. Um, and let's just keep going with that, with that attitude. Uh, I do, I do want to point out though, that, you know, you're designing, you're, you were designing, um, solutions to, to workflow problems often with very, very basic technology, sometimes even on, on paper. And so it's not so much the technology part of, of um, informatics to, you know, it, it, it often really just comes back to the information and are you collecting it in an easy way and, and then leveraging it in, in an easy way. And I've, I've been amazed at talking with, um, with uh, clinicians uh, who are involved in informatics. They always, not always, but almost always begin with, with, with stories like you've told of, well, I, I just had this problem and I solved it for me. And then someone next to me saw how well it worked and then they wanted it. And then it just kind of goes by, by, uh, by fire. And, um, you know, you got it when people are demanding, you, you know, you've solved a problem when people are right. demanding that solution. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's nothing that says in informatics, uh, that it has to be, uh, has to be digital. You can start off with, uh, you know, even with, um, you know, with paper or with, you know, magnets or other innovative ideas and start with that as you're going through the design process. Yeah. My, my, uh, first NICU application was just the set of printed tables. So it could do all the computations, uh, you know, pre-compute everything and it would be transcribing the, the, the numbers to various places, but it, it, it cut out the whole step of having to get your calculator out and I made it for myself. And, uh, one day the uh, NICU director came over and said, what are you doing? Where'd you get those tables? I'm thinking, oh, my goose is cooked because he was not known for being a kind man necessarily. He grabbed my uh, tables and made about 200 copies of them and uh, started distributing them to everyone else. I knew that perhaps I was onto something. So anyway, and they were, they were spread, basically spreadsheet printouts. So anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's great. And as I mentioned, uh, I think for me, it was in the pediatric intensive care unit, the PICU. And uh, I was trying to order TPN labs or uh, trying to order TPN every day based on the lab results of, of the previous day. And um, I just couldn't I couldn't figure it out unless I put it in a, in a, in a table in a way that was meaningful to me. And uh, I created that for me. And uh, on the weekend, I think I 
on Friday afternoon, I gave it to another resident and boy, oh boy, when I came back on Monday, um, everyone had them and, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. They took one of my copies and then, um, made a copy and then whited out all the information that was there and then made 200 copies. <laughs> and, uh, and there you go. That's how in clinical informatics begins. I think that just illustrates the importance of having that that interface, and that's what we in, in clinical informatics so often we just play the role of the of that interface between the clinical side and the clinical work that needs to be done, and the um, the the innovation, the electronics, the um, the digital side as well, the, the computational side. So um, it's it, and it's it's really fun. It's really fun being able to be that um, that interface right in between with the the, the content. Um, content experts on both sides. Yeah, well, it's it's good to be needed, and it sounds like uh, we're going to be needed for a little bit. Andy, one of the things that uh, when we were preparing for this episode, you you told me that you're you're worried about a couple things. One of those is that the, the all the rules are changing for clinicians and how, and how they do their work. Well, and you you mentioned um, an exhaustion discount. And I, I'm curious about uh, who gets that discount. Is that 10%? Like, what is that discount? And uh, how can I get it? So the, the way things have worked since the mid-90s is we do things in clinical care, and then we document what we do. And the agreement is, if we want to get paid a little bit more, we document a little bit more. So it often seems like we're getting paid to document. I mean, it's not really true, but if you, uh, if you think about it in a certain way, it does seem like, you know, the more you write, the more you get paid. And that's not, and, and I, I fully understand that it's about the complexity of the care you're giving. I get that. But that we have this intermediate step of having to document it, which as far as I know, it, it, no other profession works that way, but we work that way. and. We all sort of know um, that writing a note for a very high level of uh, complexity uh, takes a lot of time. And we often get kind of tired and uh, we, we essentially downcode um, quite a bit because we end up with, uh, end up just saying, okay, well, this is, this is good enough. I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, maybe uh, do my coding a little defensively and maybe uh, downcode a little bit just to make sure I don't get into trouble and we'll maybe uh, not take the time to enter that extended service code uh, that we perhaps deserve truly. I mean, that's probably the most neglected code there is, is, is all those extended service codes. But even some of the, the high, level, uh, high level codes will We'll uh, downplay those because it's just hard. It's just hard to document. You don't have time to document. You need to get home and all that sort of thing. So here comes AI. And um, we have this promise from AI that maybe we don't have to do documentation anymore. Maybe if the computer can pay attention to things that are uh, going on uh, and uh, listening to the conversation and looking at our orders and taking notice of what's going on in the environment that perhaps the computer can just generate the documentation. And if that's so, if that works, and that's a little bit unproven right now, but results seem promising from all the large language model-based systems that are being pushed now, then perhaps we will be able to 
code that extra uh, service time and a higher level of service. And perhaps we won't have to worry about uh, how difficult it is to write something because the computer's doing it all for us. And so right away, one of the things that I worry about a little bit is, well, if the computer's listening and constantly tossing in CPT codes on our behalf and putting together notes, um, pretty soon that what I call the exhaustion discount, where you're just too tired to put it all together, will go away. And we'll start get we'll start billing at a higher level of service and, and submitting more codes and charges. And you know, that's disruptive. Uh it, it might be in perfect accordance with the rules. It might be exactly analogous to uh or not not analogous, but exactly compliant with the rules, and yet uh cost more money to payers than uh it uh what 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 it currently does. And that's gonna cause some disruption and some hard questions. So the payers might say, well, you know, gee, this is now, this care is costing more than it used to. It's, it's, it's all coming out professional charges. What's going on? And probably there's going to be some adjustment of what we get paid. And that will, that will dilute the, uh, the reimbursement uh, somewhat I'm, I'm predicting as we, as we go to this. So will we end up getting paid more? I mean, everybody likes to get paid more, but is that really the is is that really what's gonna what's gonna happen? Uh, and is it even necessarily the right thing? I mean, do we need to scour every second of our existence to make sure there's something billable uh, out there, uh, or do we or do we just sort of uh, have we reached a, a good equilibrium point where we document what we can get to and uh, let the rest ride? Well, it seems a little bit it, to make an analogy. It's it seems a little bit like great inflation. If, if everybody's getting the 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 B plus to A plus plus plus, um, and so somewhere in there, uh, it, we need to be able to to pull out that you know that that curve and um, you know come up with some uh, differentiation. You know who really is the the complex complex patient versus the uh, the the patient that just looks complex because you know the AI pulled a bunch of uh, a bu- bunch of new diagnoses or a bunch of new things that we did to you know, reach that next level of complexity. And if, if AI is going to be looking over our shoulder anyway, you know, one of the next things to happen is some suggestions like, hey, you know, if you if you just uh, bring up one more chronic illness and ask the patient how they're doing with this chronic illness that I found in the patient's chart, you could uh, easily make this a level five, uh, something like that. Uh, you know that's we've we've there have been glimmers of this kind of technology uh, for a, a while now, um, where we where if you I mean I've, I used an EMR years and years ago uh, that that did something similar because we had, you checked box you checked off all the review systems and that sort of thing and it would give you suggestions for how to how to better support your level of service which is dangerously close to. Uh, uh, Something that sounds a little bit uh, illegitimate. Uh, if if uh, if someone's coaching you to to to, to charge more, that is uh, that has a potential for causing some disruptions too. So it it's a it's an arms race. I think we we all characterize our, our relationship with our payers as as a bit of an arms race. We're we're, we're trying to use uh, tools to uh, optimize our reimbursement, and as the tools get better, then. The payers are going to say, "Well, gosh, I mean, maybe maybe we shouldn't have been paying that much all along." So uh, it, it's going to it's going to cause some reshuffling, I think, uh, and uh, we may we may uh, 
end up uh, in, in, in a period where the haves, the ones that have the AI assistance, will be, be getting a little paid a little bit more than the have-nots, and uh, there'll be some interesting uh, questions to answer. Kevin, do you think that we'll be writing notes in five years or 10 years? Where do you think this is going? If we, are, are we not just yeah. going to record every clinical interaction, maybe not in the hospital necessarily, but certainly in the clinic, just record the interaction and uh, keep that that recording somewhere. And then everyone can have their own version of the note. The, the payer can have one version and the quality folks another and the clinicians a third. And if anyone has a question about what really happened, well, you just go back to the recording, which we're going to keep in perpetuity. Is that going to happen or did I just, was that dystopian or utopian? I don't think that the, the narrative will go away. And in fact, my hope is that the narrative becomes more of a focus. And then the other stuff that we, right now we're dumping into our note bloated notes, um, that that stuff kind of gets extracted in a way that becomes more, maybe, maybe more interactive. Um, maybe it's, um, I mean, I don't, there's, why do I need to record the current ventilator settings in my NICU progress note? There's really no reason to do that um, other than to record a snapshot in time, which I will say, even though it might be unpopular, I will say that that is actually useful. And right now, my EHR doesn't give me a great way to get that snapshot of what was it that I was looking at at that moment in time to make that decision. But what I would love to do is I would love to remove a lot of the additional kind of the additional fluff, the additional, I mean, why do I need to write that I'm going to start Lasix at one mig per kig twice daily? Can't you see that I just put the order in? Like just put that, you know, that, that should just be able to be referenced somewhere. But why did I start Lasix at one milligram per kilogram twice daily. I mean, yeah, maybe AI could be listening to our conversation on rounds and maybe it could transcribe something from that. Maybe that's what goes into a, into a progress node or into um, you know, the documentation piece. Um, but I, I hope that the narrative does not go away completely and rather that the narrative and then the objective piece get, um, get further defined by what is actually there and what is, what is actually happening that we are able to record in a structured manner in the whole electronic health record. Yeah, I, I finished my residency in 91, and the CMS guidelines for documentation came out in, of course, 95 and 97. So I was around for a lot of those classes for how to document, you know, and I, I remember having the thought, why don't we just get a whole bunch of, uh, I think at the time the technology was Betamax. Uh, we may not have had VHS quite yet, but uh, so I want to just just get a whole bunch of tapes and just tape everything. And anybody wants to know, they can just, you know, we can send them the cassette, you know. But I, I truly think that um, documentation as we know it today uh, can be and should be made uh, illegal um, there in, in the sense of it, it's 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 uh, forbidden to to waste a physician's time in this way. I mean, it's, it's almost immoral to take a, a rare resource like that and have them sit around and document uh, all kinds of things that, are, that, are, that already exist. I mean, I agree about Kevin's comment about how you want to maintain a narrative and you want to have, you know, you want to keep some notes for, your, for yourself and for your cross coverage and for 
you know, for the family to, to understand what's going on. I mean, that, that, that's a far more important objective than a lot of the other things that we, uh, that we write notes for. Everybody talks about, well, we write a note because of billing. Well, it's not the only reason we write notes. We also write notes, at least when we're trainees, we write notes because we want a script to read from. We want to have every piece of information there so that nobody has to uh, find us uh, looking in the chart for something. It's, it's all going to be written out right there so I can just look at my note and, and talk. And, and that, uh, that habit sticks with us. And we end up on, in, you know, on past our residency just writing these long scripts where we, uh, where we record every little piece of information. And people justify this by saying, hey, I want to do my thinking in this note. And I want to bring all the things I need to contemplate into one artifact. And um, I can I can certainly understand that. Sometimes I mean there's there's complex thinking to be done, and you want to you don't want to be overloading your head with you know where to click next. But <laughs> the computer's got to help us here at some point. And I, I think this I'm hoping in ten years we'll look back at uh, what we um, ask ourselves and our trainees and our colleagues to do, and uh, just declare that to be a, a, a ridiculous waste of time that the computer can now uh, help us out a lot more with. Well, Andy, speaking of helping us out, uh, there was a recent study that showed that um, an AI can be more empathetic than physician than a, a physician in terms of the from the perception of the patient and. Um, how, 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 where do you where do you think that's going? Um, are the computers uh, just better listeners, and um, and so, doctors are just bad? I'm not saying that, but I think you are. No, you're not. No, I, I, I'm not. So, so first of all, you're referring to the UCSD study where they looked at uh, physicians' replies on Reddit. I'll say that again: physician replies on Reddit to things that were generated by a large language model that had been instructed to be empathetic. Okay, you take a large language model and you tell it, please be extremely polite. It will be extremely polite. That's because that's how large language models work. Okay, unless they're just malfunctioning or something. Um, and even if this, I, I don't know where you'd, where you'd get a physician replies uh, besides Reddit. I guess you'd get it from an EHR, but that would be a little bit uh, HIPAA. Uh, risky uh, to do that sort of uh, sort of study, but you know it, you can you can take these large language models and ask them to be however you want them to be. And uh, if you anyone who's been on hold at a car rental agency is familiar with the um, almost obsequious tone of the little chatbot that pops up. Uh, and, and how profusely apologetic it is about your wait time and all this kind of stuff. And, and I would just, just remind people of, of what happens uh, every year when college acceptance letters come out. Um, every letter that goes out uh, that's saying you didn't get in starts with the phrase, we regret to inform you. And, it, you know, we, we, we look at that phrase, we, we, it's almost invisible at this point because we know that a rejection letter starts that way. But here's the thing. Does anyone actually regret to inform you of that? Is, is, there, is there someone sitting at Yale going, gosh, that kid really should have gotten in and I, I'm, I'm, feel, I'm racked with regret? No, I mean, of course not. They're just being polite. 
So my question is, we 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 hear a lot about uh, how this this uh, large language model can create a very empathetic, very uh, you know have a, have a nice bedside manner and give you a very nice and polite response, but it's just doing it's just doing what it's being told to do. And the question is, will will is anyone really being fooled by that, or is there is there is there uh, any is there any value in in saying oh AI is valuable because it's polite? I I don't think so. I think AI can be as polite or as rude as you tell it to be, and uh, I don't think it really uh, I don't think it really matters to people. Once I think once they realize that it is a bot. Then it probably didn't matter that much anyway. I mean, if you knew that that, as as everyone does, that that letter from the college telling you you didn't get in was a form letter. I mean, everybody knows that, um, and they they obviously understand that there is no regret, and that's what the letter that's what the letter template says. Nobody actually had that thought. It, when the same thing is applied to a response to a uh, to a, to like an, to an AI generated response to a request, and it's extraordinarily empathetic. Is that a good thing? I guess, but it is it important? I don't think so. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't see it as a as a, a major driver toward rushing toward AI. It's just because it's it's quote more empathetic than a doctor. I think that depends on the doctor and depends on the AI model. I think I think that that concept is probably more helpful when it comes to um, uh, to maybe synthesizing or. Uh, or summarizing, or or um, yeah, basically coming up with with communications um, for for families or, or others to know what's going on. Um, so if I write my if I write my NICU progress note in a way that I know that I and I do write my NICU progress note in a way I know that I'm communicating with other other healthcare providers so that they know what's going on with that patient. Um, that's I, I think that is a Appropriate. That's what I'm using that note for. I know as well that uh, you know 21st century cures. Absolutely, the parents are probably getting in there and looking at some of that as well. Um, you know, looking at the, some of that information. Um, but I'm not. I, I don't try to change my tone of my my medical progress note for a family. But how great would it be if my progress note was all of uh, you know? I don't know two or three sentences on the actual progress for the day. This gets back to what I was saying earlier about uh, synthesizing the, the, what I'm actually thinking. And then the additional information could be added by AI perhaps in a, in a very compassionate and uh, you know, just uh, understanding manner and in a way that's, that's written for that, that family to be able to understand. Maybe the family even has has little sliders. They can adjust the uh, the amount of medical jargon on there. Um, yeah, there, there's, I mean, after I, they've I, been here in the NICU for for seven months, they probably understand a lot uh, a, a lot more than they did on their seventh day. Yeah, I've seen functionality where you can highlight a piece of uh, text in an EHR, and you right click on it and say, you know, rewrite this at the third grade level, or rewrite this at the eighth grade level, or something. You know, I mean, sure, sure. why not? I mean, to your uh, to your uh, illustration earlier, Craig, about having a recording someplace, and you can you can output the results of that recording in, for various use cases. Um, this is you know here's here's the 
the, the oncology progress note for the family. And here's the oncology progress note for the payer. And here's, I mean, just, it's all the, the, the primary data is the same. It just has multiple outputs that look, that look different. And right now that's a manual process, so it's not going to happen really. But as we get, uh, as we get better, why not uh, stick to the original data? The, the audio recording, video recording, the orders, the log of the user actions, just keep it simple. Keep it, that's, that's the primary information that tells the universe that some care got done. And this business about having to write it up in various ways, it just, it, I, I hope we can get away from that and, and just say that's, that's not appropriate. I mean, if you're, if you're spending time doing that as a doctor, you you could be doing <laughs> other much more valuable things uh, uh, instead. So let's do that, and and not do not do all this uh, writing of stuff. I mean, imagine if you know you're <laughs> imagine any other profession um, that uh, you, you take your you take your car to an auto shop and uh, you know they tell you what the, what the parts cost, what the labor was, and there's your bill. Well, instead we say, oh, no, no, I want you to describe exactly you know, which rack the car went up on and what you did first and who you talked to and you know, all this detail. It's like, I get that there's a lack of trust. I mean, it's all based on, you know, a very well-justified concern about fraud. Okay. But the, uh, it just, we, we spend so much time doing all these notes and it, it just, it's a, it's a waste of a, of a precious resource, honestly. Yeah. The, the, um, so first of all, very interesting comments. Um, and, and I think that those are pretty mainstream, um, uh, views, uh, physicians are, are burned out. We know this clinicians, people that work in the hospital, uh, clinicians are not, are, are burned out. And, and, uh, part of the reason is this, this documentation and, and kind of, um, detail oriented um writing that is required to to get people um to to you know not get sued um and to be able to get paid one thing though i i saw regarding you know empathy from a from a large language model i i read um this discharge summary for a a new onset diabetic i think a 9 year old something something like that and they asked the the llm to consume the the chart and to write a discharge summary for the uh, both the clinical one and also uh, you know patient instructions, and um, I was amazed at reading this. And, and this is probably um, because I'm not a pediatric endocrinologist, but th there was a line in there that said, uh, "Johnny, you might think that it's your fault that you got diabetes, but this is not something that you you could can control." You know, um, I th to me that was pretty revolutionary because now again if i'm a pediatric endocrinologist maybe that's a common thing and kids often wonder if even if they don't say that they're responsible for their disease um i i thought that was great you know, like that's something that i would love for someone to point out to me or something to point out to me like hey the patient didn't say this but you didn't ask and um they statistically are thinking it so you might as well try to address that elephant in the room that that's pretty amazing and that's a service i want yeah we going back to this idea of having primary data somewhere that 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 generates different outputs it should be you know i mean i guess in some future data it should be queryable so if you've got a concern 
what did you know what 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 could I have done to uh, prevent my child's type one diabetes at age nine? You could, I mean, you might ask a you might ask a doctor about that too, but why not ask the data too? I mean, if we're if we're really getting into this, uh, this this all this AI stuff sh- shouldn't be just to you know generate notes. Um, it should be to help uh, to, to help with with communication and, and to actually take uh, data and turn it into information. Yeah, makes sense. Kevin, um, we like to talk about um, uh, design and healthcare at a very high level. Um, I, you have said uh, previously that you consider yourself an informatics generalist, um, and and to me that that makes me wonder what's an informatics specialist and you know how do they how do they do their work how do they design their workflows how do they address technology in a different way so what do you what do you mean by informatics generalist yes yeah that's a um that i i like that distinction what is what is an informatics specialist then um well i think it gets back to um a little bit just you know me personally i um I really love delving into all things informatics and at least having an idea of how things work. So uh, I can talk about things like machine learning and artificial intelligence and neural networks. And, and, and I have a general understanding of, of how they work. And I've played around with them a little bit. Um, and I think that's, that's fun, but I, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily consider myself to be say a machine learning expert. That's not what I'm doing day in and day out. Um, over, over time, I found myself, um, Really acting more in that um, that role of the interface between that clinical care um, and the uh, and, and the processes, the 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 workflows that need to happen. Um, and one of my specific interests is in um, in programming. My wife calls it my Sudoku, uh, and uh, so I, I love getting in there and trying to figure out how to get the computer to do um, to to do what it is that I want it to do. Um, you know, whether that's creating an algorithm, um, you know, a, a deterministic algorithm or, um, you know, having it respond to different user interactions and, and that kind of thing. So I think it's important that, that we as clinical informaticians, um, that most of us are informatics generalists, that we can do things where we can, we can build directly in the electronic health record. We can speak to things like um, usability with effectiveness, efficiency, and satisfaction of use. We can we can evaluate workflows, um, and then we have an understanding. I think it's really important that we um, that that we have that understanding of neural networks, artificial intelligence, machine learning. How how do all these things work, and how can we respond appropriately and intelligently as uh, as informatics generalists? I love it. And um, I think you've commented also previously that only pediatricians should be allowed to be informaticists. Did I, did I get that quote wrong? I, I think that's, that's the gist of it in, in general. Um, Why? Why? Wait, what, what's so special about you pediatricians? Well, I, I mean, specifically, I think with machine learning, um, I, so I, uh, obviously I don't, uh, completely think that, but I do think that pediatricians or really, really doctors in general, um, 
have an advantage when it, when we start talking about this um, this machine learning concept because we do have an understanding of how the how the brain works and how um, how we as humans learn. So we we understand things like neurons and axons and and myelin sheets and really if you if you think about a neural network a neural network is it it's basically a bunch of linear algebra matrices that all kind of get scrunched together i realize i've just lost everybody so you know sorry for uh ruining your your listenership here but um but that's basically all you're doing is you're reinforcing the myelin along those uh those linear algebra uh matrices and uh, we understand how somebody goes from, you know, if we you think about somebody learning to ride a bike well, when they first start, um, you know, there, there are a lot of scraped knees and, uh, you know, not a lot of bike riding that's exact that's going on. But um, through continual reinforcement, you can see that um, the child is gradually learning to uh, to develop their balance and their you know, every time that they're doing something, they're, they're getting a little bit of feedback and it's, and that keeps on reinforcing. Um, and, and that's the way that the, that the neural networks, uh, work as well. Um, it's just instead of, uh, instead of reinforcing myelin sheets, you're adding, uh, you're adding a little bit to the numbers here and there. So that one, uh, one input is weighted more than say, a, you know, a different input to get to the outcome. I like that. Um, I, I, I agree. Um, maybe for a slightly different reason. I've often said that that pediatricians are are good in the informatics and the the CMIO CHIO type roles because uh, we're used to dealing with children. And um, yeah, there's there's some smiles there. Uh, I'm not saying that physicians act like children often, um, nor am I calling out various specialties such as surgeons. I'm not doing that, uh, but there are others who have done that, and you know, to each their own. Andy, thoughts about this? Well, I think um, if you're a, uh, I, I met a, I met a informaticist uh, recently who had been a neurosurgeon, and I thought, who in the world would give up a career in neurosurgery to be an informaticist? And the answer was, he was from, he was from the UK. And he explained to me that all, you know, doctors essentially all earn the same amount of money in the UK. And so wasn't that big a, wasn't that big a loss to him to switch over to informatics. And perhaps uh, uh, the, the reason why we, we have so many pediatricians and hospitalists in the informatics ranks is because uh, folks who can earn a lot more money doing their, uh, uh, doing their specialty aren't, aren't as tempted uh, to spend time on things like this. Andy, you really um, you're you're bumming us out here. Kevin and I are bummed out now because that's, of my, that's my value add. I do think that um, one of the reasons, though, that uh, that that you'll find a lot of pediatricians that are are thinking in the uh, informatics um, mindset is is that in pediatrics, uh, especially in in um, in the like subspecialty pediatrics, we're almost always de- uh, dealing with rare diseases. Um, I mean, if you, if you think about it, most, I mean, kids are not supposed to be in the hospital. Um, and so, uh, so whenever we are dealing with something, it's not something that wouldn't necessarily be dealt with in, in mass. Um, and frankly, in, in many cases, it's taken a while for, 
our electronic health record to add some of the pediatric specific or, uh, or pediatric um, friendly functionalities into, say, our electronic health record. Um, and I also think so, so oftentimes we, we have to deal with things like workarounds um, or or using um, using tools or medications in ways that are um, maybe a little more creative. I already talked about being in the NICU and one of the things that I love about it being that I have to deal with the little tiny things, the, the very small changes in, in the, the volume of ventilation. I have to think about things like dead space um, in, the, in the airway. Um, it's, those, it's those little things and those edge cases that I think lend themselves to thinking like an informaticist as well. Typically at the end of our podcast, we like folks to tell us if there's something that is so well designed in their lives that it brings them joy and happiness. And sometimes it's technology and sometimes it's not. Kevin, let's start with you. Is there, is there something, are there one or two things that just are so well designed they bring you joy? Well, the thing that immediately comes to mind uh, t- to me is it, I like to focus on, uh, and, and I talk about usability often. And with the three pieces of usability being the effectiveness, the efficiency, and the satisfaction of use. Um, and when I, when I think about that, uh, one of the best examples is when you mistype your password on a Mac. Do you know what happens? It's if, have you done this? That's right. That's right. The, the, when, when you mistype your password, the entire, the entire screen shakes at you. It's like, hey, you idiot. You just mistyped your password. And I love that because is it effective? Yeah. It told me I just typed my password wrong. Is it efficient? Sure. It doesn't, doesn't take very long. I don't even have to click on a box to say, you know, you got to retype your password. And is it, is it satisfactory? Yeah. I can kind of laugh at myself because my, my computer just shook its head at me. So I think that's great. That's awesome. Andy. Yeah, there, there are so many things, uh, but since this is a computer uh, oriented conversation, I, I have to, there, there's a, there's a vector drawing application that I, that I love. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't know if, if, if I can mention the, 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 Please. It's, it's called OmniGraffle and it's a, it's a Mac only product. I don't know. I don't honestly know why they don't make one for windows. It, it, would, it would work perfectly well. Um, on that platform, maybe someday they will, but, um, it is, it is just any, if you, you can, you can immediately tell, uh, if, if a person didn't use this program in a diagram, you, you can, you can, it, it's cause it's going to look clunky. It's going to look crude. It's going to look like an eighth grader had a really good try at it. Whereas with OmniGraffle, you can make it look just beautiful with every pixel in place. And I just, I don't know. There's just, there's certain, there's certain things like that, that, uh, in this world that, uh, that, uh, that bring me joy. And since we're, you know, down this path, uh, I'll just, I'll just continue one more. There is a, there is a, a programming language. The first programming language I learned called APL and it stands for a programming language. And, um, those who know APL know exactly what I'm talking about, but there was a book on APL by Kenneth Iverson that, that uh, just took you through just teaching you the language. And it's still the best textbook I've ever uh, laid my hands on. I still have my APL book that I 
bought when I was in uh, seventh or eighth grade. And it's just the, the most amazing exposition of a complex topic that I've ever seen. So anyway, those are a couple of things. Well, I, I have now, I am joyful because both of you mentioned Apple uh, products or uh, software uh, or software that runs on, on uh, Apple machines. And I'm a big fanboy. So uh, this is a terrific way to end. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It was a very interesting conversation. And uh, look forward to uh, continuing it at some point in the future. Well, I, I do have to say, my Microsoft Surface that I still have right here, version three, is uh, it will blow your Apple anything way out of the water. But um, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> I, I'm crushed. I'm crushed, and I'm giving you fifty-fifty odds that I'm going to take that out out of the podcast. But let's see. Let's see. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information, visit CincinnatiChildrens.com. Plus, visit the show notes for this episode for a link to Dr. Spooner's Pinterest page filled with his favorite well-designed things. Check back for more episodes of Designing for Health wherever you listen to podcasts or on NordicGlobal.com. Till next time, we'll see you in network. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. This helps others find the podcast as well. 